to 20, and as you do that, our core kids are dismissed to their class, or classes. Can we just, as we do that, can we just give a hand to our core kids' teachers and helpers and just thank them for their service. We appreciate the ones that are teaching today and that teach every week. They allow us to have a time of worship and be in the Word and they, they, they are imparting into our kids, so we're grateful for them. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and verse 14, when you got it, say so. It says, you shall not commit adultery. Father, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your word that sets us free, and thank you for your word that you have given us, Lord. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your presence, to be in your word. We thank you because you have given us the opportunity, Lord, to come into your house today to worship your name. And so as we've done that with our songs, as we've done that and every other thing we've done in this service, we pray that we would also do that with our minds and our hearts now as we are attentive to your word. Pray that you would be glorified in the preaching, but also in the hearing of your word, that we would not just hear what you're saying, but that we would do it. That as you convict us of the truths and as you show us our own hearts, that we would come before you with humility, with surrender, but with boldness knowing that you welcome us into your presence, offering us the grace to live holy lives that honor and reflect you, Lord. We thank you for this and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you one. Uh, Just keep your hand up until the ushers uh, bring it to you. And that way you're not putting your hand up, putting it down, putting it up, putting it down. Just make sure you got it, okay? I want to make sure that you're able to follow along in the outline. That's always very important. You can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. It's also important to me that you're able to take notes so that way you can reflect later on on what I've been preaching about or what you heard um, in the message. And then as always, I remind you that we are disciples of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to make disciples, right? We're not just called to come and sing songs to Jesus. We're not just called to come and hear the preaching of God's word, but we are also called to share his word with others. And the way that we make disciples is twofold. One of them is by sharing the gospel with those who do not know Jesus and bringing them to faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one way that that's part of making disciples and then the other part of making disciples is sharing the gospel throughout scripture with those who believe in the word of God building their faith in Christ and so if you are not doing that if you're not helping someone grow in their faith then you are failing at being a disciple of Jesus and the beauty of it is is that we all fall short God's grace is sufficient and God has surrounded you I assure you of this God has surrounded you with people who need to be discipled And I would even venture to say that God has surrounded you with people that want to be discipled. If you will just pray and ask God to use you, he will use you because it is his will. It is not my will. It's not your will. It is his will that we make disciples. And so I challenge you to do that. As you can see, we are in our series, Not Optional. We are dealing with the topic of adultery. And so if there are any little ears in the room and you don't want them to hear what we're talking about, this would be a good time to exit with them. Um, If not, we're going to jump right into this. And so if you look at your outline, we live in a sex-crazed culture, a sex-crazed culture. Sex sells everything. If you want to sell beer, 
Don't talk about how great the beer is. Just have a girl that's half naked next to it and you'll sell the beer. You want to sell nice cars? Don't talk about everything that the car has and all that. Put a half-naked woman on it, and everybody wants that car because they think by having that car, that woman's coming with it. Not true. Nonetheless, that's the reality. You watch um, Super Bowl uh, commercials and things like that, and how many of them have that leaning, you know? Not just Super Bowl. You look at many commercials, and that's what they do to sell their product. They sell sex, and that's what they do. It just becomes this reality that we're in, and so we have an issue. Our youth, right, are being are, t- are sexting or being sexted. I know that we don't want to hear that, but it is just a reality where people are sending naked or half-naked or pictures that are very provocative uh, uh, to your youth and youth and some of your youth are doing that as well. In the men's uh, conference yesterday, Nick Vujicic, he said something that I thought was awesome. He says, we need to poll our youth to see how many of them are actually sexually active, how many of them are actually participating in pornography, not just so we can poll them, but so we can minister to them and we can help them be delivered because I assure you, whether you believe it or not, there are many more youth that are engaged in these things than you want to believe. And we as parents have to be awakened to this reality, but this is the culture in which we live. I'll tell you something, it's, it's, this is funny and sad at the same time, but there are statistics that are saying right now that, that our children, our youth are less involved in sexual activity, they're less involved in drug abuse, they're less involved in alcoholism today, but it is because they are more isolated from one another on the internet, doing things in private that they're doing. And so that's the reason I do it. So it sounds like, oh, that's a great statistic, not so much. Because they're doing these other things in private. They're doing these other things separately. And so it's important for us to understand our culture. Um, one, internet pornography is easily accessible. Uh, as one report, uh, WebRoot says, uh, they have a, a report there that's entitled, Internet Pornography by the Numbers, a Significant Threat to Society. The one thing that was in that article that I thought was important for us to realize is that a while ago, uh, the, the, the big buzz thing was internet pornography, and there was this big push against internet pornography, and, and this big awareness of it, and you know what? It lost its buzz because people don't want to hear about it anymore, so you know what the big thing is now? Bullying. That's the big thing now. Like, that's the big buzz thing right now, and you know what's going to happen to that? Pretty soon, it's going to lose its effectiveness because something else is going to rise up. Can I tell you something? Despite the fact that it may not be the buzz thing, it's still an issue and it's getting worse. It's still a problem and it's getting worse just because politicians aren't talking about it, just because uh, news media is not talking about it, just because people are not speaking about this. This is an issue. It's an epidemic within our culture. And, here, and here's, the, here's the thing. This leads to a culture that is sex crazed, a, a culture that is overwhelmed with the idea of sex and, and all this, sexually confused, a, a culture that is sexually confused. L- let me explain this to you. There are so many young people, especially in our culture today, that are being inundated in our school systems, and they are sexually confused because we're introducing ideas to our kids. They're not even ready to understand any of this stuff. When we were kids in middle school, our parents were saying, you don't know what love is. They knew what they were talking about. And yet we have kids today that are in middle school talking about, I'm homosexual, I'm bisexual, I'm this sexual. Listen, they don't even understand who they are. As a matter of fact, you know that one show, I know some of y'all probably watch, I hope you don't, but I think it's called I Am Jazz, right? It's about this kid who was is, who is, who is a born as a, as a boy, and they decided that they were going to give this child hormones in order, in order for them not to develop because this child was supposedly, you know, 
know, they, 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 they knew better. And so the child had these leanings toward being a girl. Like he's like, I'm a girl in a guy's body. Can I tell you something? We were watching some, sh- it's six, the 600-pound life because on TLC, and they were showing the commercial. It disgusted me because you know what happened? And disgusted me in a sad way because my heart breaks because after all of this, now Jazz is a teenager. And you want to know what's happened? All the way up until this time, Jazz has been trying to date the opposite sex, right? So acting like a girl, trying to date boys. You want to know what all of a sudden happened? Now he, because it's a he, is attracted to girls. So now you mess this child up that doesn't understand who they are by giving them hormones so they don't develop into what God created them to be. And you know what this is rooted in? Sexual perversion. It is rooted in this command, thou shalt not commit adultery. That is where this is rooted in. And so the point is, here is the deal. The reality is that we need to stick to what the scriptures say. And this is why this becomes so important to us. We, 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 it becomes a sex-crazed culture that is sexually confused and then sexually perverted. You look at all of the sex trafficking and these things. All of this stuff that we see in our culture is rooted in what? A lack of God's perspective on sexuality. A lack of God's perspective on what he intended from creation. Listen, the culture does not determine what what the standards are for sex. God does. God does. He makes it clear in his word. And so here's why this becomes so important. Second paragraph, the church must regain ground in the area of sexual purity. Someone say amen to that. We must regain ground. Why? This is rooted in us recognizing and repenting. So if we want to gain ground in this area of sexual purity, we must recognize and repent of our sins in this area and return to the biblical standard for sexuality beginning in marriage. You see, when we value sex the way God says for us to value it in the confine of marriage, by the way, if you, didn't, if you don't know this yet, the only place that sex is okay is within a heterosexual marriage. Did you hear me? That is the only place that it is okay. It is not okay outside of that context. That is the only context in which God says sex is okay. So anything outside of that is a violation of God's standards. Church, we have to stand up for that. We have to stand up for that truth in a culture that says, no, you're wrong because this, I don't care what the culture says, this is what the Bible says. Now, this is why I said the church need to do this because I have some statistics I want you to look at with me. But according to data taken from internet users who, look, who took part in the general social survey for the year 2000, listen to this, regular church attenders are 26% less likely to look at porn than non-attenders. That's a good statistic, right? lowers the standard somewhat. I mean, 26% less likely. And before I move on to any, any further in, in the statistic, I want to say where I got all of this Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is a website that is geared towards sexual purity. It's a Christian-based um, um, internet provider, and they will help you in order to have internet um, security, also have internet purity. Uh, it, it promotes the, um, the, the idea of having accountability. So if you go with, with, with this provider and you have it on a computer, if Ozzy and I were accountable partners, Ozzy put it on his computer, then what would happen is Ozzy would go ahead and he, when he, whenever he goes to a website that has a certain rating on it, I would get an email saying, hey, Ozzy has visited this website. You need to call him. You need to reach out to him. Parents, you need to have this on your computers or something like it. You need to have this on your kids' stuff. And I know you'd be like, I don't want to, listen, you better go that route. 
because here's the reality. The reality is you get one shot at this, and we're going to see some other statistics later on, but the truth of the matter is, you know what? I want my son, Josiah, I want to get an email that says, Josiah visited a website before he gets all crazy. Are you here? I want to know that, you know. I want to know Alexis visited a website that was inappropriate. I want to know that, right, because the reality is that our kids are going places and we are completely blinded to this stuff. And so anyway, all these statistics are taken from a report of, of, of the effects of internet pornography, but here's, here's what it says. So 26% less likely. That was a good one. Now look at the second part of that. But those self-identified as fundamentalists, how many of y'all know what a fundamentalist is? Raise your hand if you know. Raise your hand if you're not sure. Okay. That's a lot of us. So what a fundamentalist is, is someone who says, I take the Bible, and in, in, in general, when we're talking about Christians, I take the Bible literally. So when God says no, he means no. He's not joking. There's no figurative speech. God means no. He means no. When God says yes, he means yes. So when God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, a fundamentalist would believe God means that. All right, got that? That's what a fundamentalist is. That's what they do. Now look at this statistic. Nine, are, are 91% more likely... To look at porn. I thought it was a typo or something like that. I want you to know I copy and pasted that from the report. It's not a typo. They are 91% more likely to look at porn. Why is that? Because you can be a fundamentalist legalist. You can tell people what they're supposed to do, but the Spirit of God has not changed your heart. That is what Jesus dealt with when he was talking about the Pharisees. They were the fundamentalists of their days. And Jesus told his disciples what? Your righteousness must supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. In other words, you were not supposed to just preach the truth. You were supposed to be living the truth. And there's a problem within the church because this is what this stat says. Let's continue on. In 2003, 34% of female readers of today's Christian woman's online newsletter admitted to intentionally accessing internet porn. 34% females, not males. See, back in the day, it was just us guys. It wasn't true. We just didn't know. Right? The reality is women are right in here just, just as long with men. There may be less amount of women because that becomes a reality, but nonetheless, it's not just men. It's the church, and as he says, let's continue on. And so according to a survey conducted by the Barna Group in the U.S. in 2014, 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view, not viewed, view pornography at least once a month compared to 65% of non-Christian men. So we are 1% less than non-Christian men and 30% of non-Christian women. So that's like half of the amount of Christian women. But the bottom line is that we have a problem in the church. We have a problem in the body of Christ there is a crisis that is going on when it comes to pornography. And now that it is so easily accessible, this becomes a greater issue. This becomes a greater problem. And when we deal with, to with topics like this, it becomes uncomfortable. And that's okay because God's grace is sufficient for us in these moments where we can recognize, you know what? There's an issue in the church, but God's grace is able to get us out of this. God's grace is able to deal with us. And so the, the, the last paragraph here, Satan has found, a, has found ground in the church. Would you say amen to that? Yeah. Based on these stats alone, Satan has found ground in the church, and we must rise against the wiles of the wicked one as he seeks to hinder us from being a light and a source of hope and deliverance to our culture. Please understand this. 
The goal of the enemy is to hinder us from being the light we're supposed to be. It's to hinder us from being the source of hope we're supposed to be. Listen, nobody should be bound to any powers of, of, of sexuality that are not from God. Are you here? No one should be bound into, in, in any type of lust, in any type of, in, 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 any t- in, in any type of immorality. No one should be bound by that. The gospel is able to free us. But here's what happens. Our authority to influence our culture greatly reduces when we are not sanctified in our sexuality. When we are not sanctified in our sexuality, our ability to influence the culture, the authority we have becomes diminished. Why is that? Because one of two things happens. If I am not sanctified in the area of sexuality, I either become A, this fundamentalist that is preaching to you from hypocrisy, or B, what happens? I become, I, I, I become a person who is, who is embarrassed, who is ashamed of what I'm falling into, so I'm never going to talk to you about it. So it's either A, I'm over here as a hypocrite, and I'm not going to, when I speak, I offend God because, man, this guy's a hypocrite. He spe- there's, there's a lack of authority and power that comes through that communication. Or I'm on the other side of the spectrum over here where I am shameful, I am embarrassed, I am walking in condemnation, and I'm not going to talk to you about your sexuality when I know what I'm doing in secret. And what the enemy wants to do is silence us in this area. Here's a big idea I have for you today. Faithfulness in marriage is foundational to sexual purity in our culture. Faithfulness in marriage is foundational to sexual purity in our culture. Now, here's here's what I want you to understand. What I want you to understand is that when we looked at the commands, right, we go through the commandments and we get to those horizontal commands that are there, right, we look at the horizontal. The first one that we have is what? To honor your father and mother. That was the first one that's horizontal. What did I say? That God begins to deal with the home because in the home is where discipleship is supposed to be taking place. In the home is where values are supposed to be built. In the home is where we are supposed to come to understand the will of God. We're supposed to come to know God. And so what does he do in the area of sexuality? In the area of sexuality for us to influence our culture, he starts with marriage. And he talks about how we are supposed to be in marriage because that is supposed to influence the culture as far as how we view and how we deal with the topic of sex. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must grasp the sacredness of sex within marriage. We must grasp the sacredness of sex within marriage. And so God comes, and look at the command with me, verse and. and Verse 14, he says, you shall not commit adultery. And so what does he do? He makes it crystal clear that among his kingdom people, that adultery is unacceptable. And so outside of that kingdom people, meaning all the cultures that were surrounding the children of Israel, obviously adultery was something that was normative, something that was happening within those cultures, within those people's ideologies and beliefs. And when God is separating his people, he says, listen, you must not commit adultery. My people are supposed to look different. My people are supposed to be monogamous. My people are supposed to be in a relationship with one person and they're not supposed to go outside of their marriage for satisfaction, nor are they supposed to bring anyone into their marriage or anything into their marriage for satisfaction, but they are supposed to walk in this way before me as a representative of what my standards are. That's what he calls them to do. And so he gives him this, and what I want you to notice is this, is that when you deal with this topic of adultery, he is specifically speaking about marriage when he's talking about sex. He's not talking about this command doesn't, doesn't lean over and talk about fornication. This command doesn't lean over and talk about other things. But can I tell you something? When you look at all of the counsel of Scripture, all of Scripture talks about those things. 
deals with the area of sexuality. Nonetheless, God is establishing a standard and saying this is the place where you need to have the right mindset. And so here's the deal. Due to the sexualization of the culture, the perversions and unbiblical liberties we as a culture have accepted as normative, many believers see sex as bad while God shows us that sex is good in the right context. Are you here? And so what happens is because we have not been a voice on the topics of sexuality, because we have accepted certain things as normative in our culture, like in our days there are many parents that believe that, man, there's no way that a kid is actually going to make it to their wedding day without having sex. Many parents in the church believe that. And this is a sad, sad reality because let me tell you something, you and I as parents, we have a responsibility to guard our children, to walk our children all the way up into the day that they say, I do, you would hope they never said, I do. Hello. It is your job. It is my job. It is our job to walk with them, to ensure that they get there. And you know the way they're going to get there is by our example. You know the way they're going to get there? It's by our counsel. You know the way they're going to get there? It's by us walking with them, praying for them, encouraging them, knowing what is going on in their lives. That's how this happens. But see, here's one of the things that happens for us as parents. I know it's me, me as a dad, right? Me as a dad. Thinking about my kids, at, you know, back in the, at the time when I first started dealing, thinking about the topic, obviously I had one child at the time, which was Alexis. And so as a parent, right, the, the, the best way to make someone not want to do something is to make it look bad. Right? Like, that's in your mind. Like, you just, you know, no, it's bad. No, you don't want to do that. It's terrible. And so all of a sudden, right, like, that's what you begin to do. So you begin to make sex look like it's a bad thing. It becomes unclean, right? No, that's not good. That's unholy. Okay, and so then what happens? What happens is you fast forward, and then all of a sudden they come to that place of I do. They get married, and you know what they were taught all their life? Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is unholy. And then you know what ends up happening? They don't want to have sex. Hello. Sex is good in marriage. All the men said? Amen. Amen. Right? In marriage, it's good. It should be often. It should be pleasurable. But here's the thing. The thing is that we have this idea, and so I love it. I can't remember the name of the book. I didn't look it up, but it's a book that speaks on this topic of having the conversations, not one conversation, but continual conversations about sex with your kids. That does not mean you sit down every day and have a conversation about sex. What it means is that you are prepared to have conversations ongoing. And you know what? At one point, it's informative conversations, meaning that. You are educating your child on what sex is really about from a biblical perspective, from a biblical standard, letting them know, listen, this is good in the context of marriage. Because you know what's going to happen? Their little teenage friends that are having sex outside of marriage, they're going to start talking about how good it is. And all of a sudden, you're a liar. But if you were telling your child, this is good, this is, this is joy, this is pleasurable, this is something that is good inside marriage, they know that. They just realize where they are having this good time is the wrong place and the wrong time. But then what happens is it's not just informative, it's, it, it, it is also where now it's a place of accountability. Now you're having conversations. Okay, you already know the deal. You already have the birds and the bees. You understand all of that. So where are you at in your relation to sex? What are you thinking about? What are you going through? Yeah, have those conversations. I know they're uncomfortable. I know we don't want to have those conversations, but you need to have those conversations because if not, your child will be over here having sex outside of marriage. And, and you know what? You can look at yourself and say, man, I'm the one that messed up on that. I'm the one that wasn't willing to make myself uncomfortable and have these tough conversations. And so, again, we have to not. And listen, let me say, I have to say this. I youth pastored for three years before I did this. 
Don't ever think your kids are too holy. Did you hear what I said? Don't ever think your kids are too holy to be the one. Because you will be shocked at how many kids you thought were too holy and they ain't too holy. I mean, my kids, yeah, your kids are good. Amen. Praise the Lord. That doesn't mean that they're not human. Hello. It does not mean that he is not a teenage boy. And teenage boys, hey, we're going through changes. Amen. Every young man in the room said amen. That's, that's a reality. We're going through changes. Things are happening. Right? Young women, going through changes. And so at, at the end of the day, we have to have these conversations, make sure we're communicating with our children about this. And so when we look at this command, I'll close this, this thought up with this, is that when we look at this command, thou shalt not commit adultery, there is also another picture that we see in the Old Testament, and it is the comparison between, the, between adultery and idolatry. And what God does is he compares the two in his relationship with you and him. And so commandment number two was what? Thou shalt not commit idolatry, right? Should have no idols before God. And so what God does, he compares that. He says, because what? Whenever you are giving yourself to the Lord, you are in a covenant relationship with God Almighty. He is your God. He is your king. In our context, we as the people of God are the bride of Christ. Therefore, he is the husbandman, right? So we are committed to him. When I worship another God, I am doing what? I am being unfaithful to my relationship with God Almighty. Therefore, it's equivalent to adultery. Now, let me tell you in the context of marriage, what happens in marriage is you are married to one person, one man, one woman. And the moment you go outside of your marriage, you are committing idolatry against your marriage. Because what you're doing is you're worshiping something else. Maybe it's an ideal, an ideal person you think you need to be sleeping with, right? Someone who you think, that's the kind of guy I should be with. That's the kind of woman I should be with. You know, you start to worship images and stuff like that. And let me tell you something. People don't want to hear this when I say this. There is one person that you should have eyes for as a married person. And that is the one that you have a ring on your finger by them. Are you here? And so what that means is there are many of us, we like to watch shows and we have these um, celebrity crushes and all that kind of stuff. And we think it's cute because he's this and he's that or she's this and she's that. Let me tell you something that is dangerous in your marriage because you're allowing your eyes, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, you're allowing your eyes to wander toward another man or another woman and they don't deserve that. And you are opening yourself up to a place of adultery because you know what? Many people, I've had plenty of conversations, many people are sleeping with their spouse thinking about Let's go to what Jesus says about this whole topic here. Go to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll see what Jesus says, just so you can understand the context of what I just said in light of what the Scriptures communicate. Because the truth is, God's created beautiful things, has he not? Right? He's, there, there's a lot of beautiful people in this room, but there's one that I should have eyes for, the one that I'm married to, that's it. Right? I, that, that, that's what the scriptures teach me. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to verse 30, this is what Jesus communicates. He says this. Remember, last week we dealt with the, the murder aspect. The second commandment that he deals with here is the seventh commandment, which is, which is adultery. And he says, you have heard that it was said of those of old. You shall not commit adultery. Speaking directly to the text we just dealt with, he says, but I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I like the fact that God is addressing the men in this topic specifically. I like that because I think that it's important, right? Especially in a culture in a time where many times, and you, you remember the story in John chapter 8, they bring the woman who is caught in adultery. They don't bring the adulterous man. They just bring the woman. 
Remember that story? I think, I think it's kind of unfair, right? Like the guy, where's the guy at? He, she, she was caught by herself? No, she was obviously with someone. That's how you caught her. Hello? And yet you wanted to stone her, but you left him and gave him a pass. And what Jesus does is Jesus doesn't give men a pass and say it's okay for you. But what I want you to know is that he's not saying just because he's addressing men here in their lust, he's saying, oh, women, you can look in lust all you want. That's not what he's saying. He is pointing out the heart of adultery. And so what is the heart of adultery? The heart of adultery is that we are looking and lusting. This is, this is what adultery is of the heart. And so we think about this, man, are we, am, I, am I an adulterer, right? And so you got to think about your heart, man. I can tell you, I remember 20 years ago, 20 years ago I got married. It'll be 21 years this year, and I remember we were in Puerto Rico. I've told this story before, but since the context of this, I'll tell it again. I like telling it on myself. Um, and so we were in Puerto Rico. We had just spent um, eight days or whatever, and we're coming back from Puerto Rico. And, you know, for those of you, I love my Puerto Rican friends and family and all that, but some Puerto Rican women, they don't know how to dress right at all, but, um, or they really don't, anyway, but you, know, you get the time. So I'm in Puerto Rico, married, fresh, next to the most beautiful woman in the planet in my life. I mean this sincerely, not saying that to earn points, but I'll take the points. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, we're walking through the airport and my wife is like, you like what you're looking at? And I was like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was like I was trying to hide, right? Like, I, it, it wasn't that. I didn't even realize what I was doing. Because prior to this, I was a single man, and single men do what? But is that okay? Hold on a second. How am I going to know? Listen, hold on. Let me, let, let, me, let me put some more context to this. I was not just a single man. I was a Christian single man. Let me add some more context. I was a preaching Christian single man. Let me add a little bit more context. I thought I was a real spiritual Christian man. And I had an eye problem. And you know what? I wish I could confess to you and tell you that 21 years ago, I was cured. I wish I could say that to you today. I wish I'd get up here as your pastor and be like, man, I never struggled again. But I can tell you something. I've grown in the area of self-control. I can tell you something, my heart is more and more dominated every day by my love for God and my fear of the Lord. I'll never forget we were going through a study years and years ago, and it's called Every Man's Battle. And I remember sitting down, and I would challenge every man to sit down and go through this chapter. I can't remember which chapter it is, but there's one chapter where the writer begins to point out, and he begins to say almost every single New Testament um, book in the New Testament condemns sexual immorality. And what he does is he has a list of these scriptures. And as I remember sitting, I remember clear as day, I was sitting in my office in the old house. And as I was sitting down and I was reading these scriptures, I literally was sinking in my chair every scripture I read more and more and more. And it was like God was rising up and saying, I am holy and you are called to be holy. There is no excuse for a man to look at a woman lustfully, period. There is no excuse for a man to have wandering eyes or a wandering heart and the same holds true for the women in this place God is holy and we must walk in holiness we must walk listen and we cannot allow anything to lead us into believing that it's okay well hey I just looked I didn't touch no 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 Jesus says looking is wrong oh but I just looked one time Uh uh-huh you looked one time and kept looking because, you know, we have, we have a lot of cute preachers out there, and they say, well, it's okay to look one time. Just don't look a second time. Wait a second, but what, how, what about that long first look? Right? Because here's the thing. When he says when you look to lust with them, then someone says, well, I don't look with the intention to lust. I just end up lusting. 
Hold on a second. That's a heart issue the same. Because if you end up there, it's a heart condition of immorality. And we can't justify our actions and our behaviors. We have to come to this place of repentance. I want you to know this. The enemy wants to desensitize us. And I wrap this point up with this when it comes to the way, the things that we look at. He wants to desensitize us in a big way. And he starts at a young age. Look at this. In 2009, Michael, Michael LaHaye, he's, uh, or, or LaHaye, he's, he released results of a survey of 29,000 individuals at North American universities. Okay, that's a lot of people. They're not Christian. It's just people. 51% of male students and 32% of female students viewed pornography before their teenage years. Did you get that? More than half of men and one-third of women have been exposed to pornography before the age of 12. Now, I want you to think about this because I need you to understand something. The enemy is at work overtime. And if we honored and valued marriage as a people, if we honored and valued marriage the way that God says, listen, internet pornography, pornography in general would never have made it an industry. Are you here? If we value marriage the way that God intends, look, we sit there and we watch movies, PG-13, PG movies, and we see people that are making out and groping each other and rubbing, and they're talking sexually to one another, and they're in the bed, and you know what? We didn't see them have sex, and we think that that's okay. Let me ask you a question. Would you do any of that in front of your kids? Would you? Listen, I might touch my wife's butt in front of my kids, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm not going to lie, but I'm not, I ain't touching her like we're alone. <laughs> Look, my daughter's right there. She can tell you I'm an affectionate guy. Like, I love to hug and rub and kiss and all that kind of stuff. That's who I am. But there's a line. There's a, there has to be a line. And you know what? If we, if, if we would draw those lines, man, we would never, pornography would never make it where it has. It's just a reality for us to think about. The third thing, we're running out of time. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Look what it says. It says, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That's pretty clear, is it not? The marriage bed is honorable among all and undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, they will be judged. God will judge them. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8, it says this. It says this is speaking of the judgment of God, the, the, the judgment that people will experience. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, period. There's no question if, if you are an adulterer, which we all fall short in this area, if we are, then this is, the, this is the judgment that waits for us. Now turn to this last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Let's see what God says here. And I want you to realize that we just looked at two witnesses already in the New Testament that say to us that the New Testament affirms what the Old Testament command is. One of them is by the writer of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who that writer is, but we do know that it was, it was some apostle. It was a book that was accepted in uh, uh, for its veracity. And so it's one that is the word of God. There's one witness. The second witness is the apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. Second witness who communicates this. The Bible says, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and let's look at what the witness of the apostle Paul says. Our third witness, he says in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. You should underline that. You should see that. Do not be deceived. Don't let anyone lie to you. Listen, let me throw this one in there because I have such a, a, such a burden in my heart right now for us as parents and our kids. Don't allow your children to be deceived. Don't sit idle by and let your kids think that their behavior that is sexually impure is okay because it is not. This is what the scriptures say. For the young people in here that I love with all my heart and my life, do not be deceived. Jesus is speaking to us through the word of God. The spirit of God is saying to us, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those are those who have sex outside of marriage before marriage, nor idolaters, we know what those are, nor adulterers, those who have sex outside of their marriages, nor homosexuals, we know what those are, do we not? Those are those who say that they love the same sex. Nor do sodomites, and I have to be graphic here, sodomites is speaking of anal sex. And so he's saying those that are there, so anybody who engages in this, this is what he's talking about. He says, no thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, period. God is crystal clear on his stance for sexual purity. And we as the people of God have a choice. We either take God's word and we do what he says, or we do it our own way and we endanger ourselves of his judgment. The beauty of this is here in verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Because what is he doing? He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to believers here. And he's letting them know, don't let yourselves be deceived. Don't think that this is okay because one day you prayed a prayer. One day you said you cried. One day you had some emotional experience. One day you made some commitment or because you have some belief in God. I listened to this, this debate the other day and it was between one guy that is like what they call lordship theology, which is basically, um, you know, that they, they, they believe in salvation by grace, but your works have to attest to your salvation. And then the other guy, he was just a faith alone guy. And his whole thing was that all we have to do is believe. And let me tell you something. I lean way more over here toward the Lordship side. I'm just going to tell you right now. Because I don't believe that you come to faith in Christ and continue to live unholy and unrighteous. And if you do, you have been deceived. Just because you know all of what the Bible says does not make you okay with God. Just because you can quote scriptures does not make you okay with God. We must come to the place in reality that what I believe must change the way I walk. What I believe here and here must change the way I live. And if it does not, it is not real belief, my friends. Then Paul tells us to check ourselves on this, on this exact mindset. But that's why he's writing this. And he's reminding them, and some were some, some of you, but you were washed. Hallelujah. But you were sanctified. You were set apart. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Understand this. 
This struggle we're talking about, this is a real struggle, right? The struggle is real. It is real. There's a battle that's going on, but you have to make a determination. What side of this am I? Am I going to walk in the victory that God affords? So let's keep reading here. Let's look at how it is because the third thing, repeat this after me. Say, we must radically stand against sexual immorality. We must radically stand against sexual immorality. In the portion of scripture that we read there with Jesus, at the end of that, I didn't read it through, but he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because it's better for you to live your whole life with one part of your body, members missing, right, or marred, than for you to enter into eternal hell is what he's saying. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And so what is Jesus saying? Is he literally telling you to pluck your eye out? No. In our context, he's saying, if the TV is causing you to sin, turn it off. Disconnect the internet or disconnect the cable. Do what you have to do. Get all kind of systems set up so that way you don't fall into sin visually. If your hand causes you to sin, if your behavior is causing you to sin, set up parameters in your life so you don't fall into sin. But we must be radical in our stance against sin. We have to be. And what does the apostle say? Look at verse 18 real quick and then we'll jump back up. He says, flee sexual immorality. You know what that word flee means? Run. It doesn't mean, like, hang out with it. It doesn't mean, like, say, you know, man, I'm going to be all right. You know, Bishop, I was convicted by that, so, you know, I, I, I'm going to stand firm. You're not. Listen, I hate, to, I hate to be the one to bear bad news, man, but some of you have been trying to stand firm and overcome this same sin over and over and over again, and my preaching today is not going to be enough for you to go ahead and change unless you get radical in your stance against it. Unless you recognize, you know, man, I cannot do this on my own anymore. Get some accountability in your life. Let someone call you out on sin. But even that is not enough because, you know, you can lie to your accountability partner. Are you here? You can lie to that person. As a matter of fact, I told you about Covenant Eyes. Well, if you have an iPhone, you can get around Covenant Eyes. You know why? Because you can use Safari app and it's not running in the background. If you have an Android, you're out of luck. Hello. Because Android runs it right in the background. But if you have an iPhone, you don't have to use that app. So you go on your phone and you can look at stuff and do stuff there. But here's the deal. The bottom line is we have got to get radical in our stance. And so Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. But how is it that we get radical? Well, first of all, we trust the gospel. We recognize our sinfulness. We recognize what Jesus did. We recognize that because of him, we have been washed. Recognize your new identity in him. Recognize that you have been washed. Recognize your purpose. You have been sanctified. You have been set apart for a prayer. Recognize those things. And then walk in what? Walk in your justification. Walk in that new identity. Walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And so let's read this through 12 through 20, and then we'll wrap it up. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Hello, somebody. In other words, you can do whatever you want is what he's saying, but not everything's helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy it, the stomach, and them, foods. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up in his power. The first thing we got to do to be radical is we got to consider what God has done. We got to to consider the grace of God, the power of God that God offers us through his son. The second thing that he goes on to say in verse 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you hear this? Your bodies are members of Christ. Our physical body, this right here, 
He's not talking about your spirit. He's talking about your body is a member of Christ. He says, now look at this. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Surely not. See, back in those days, you got to understand the context of this. Why is that even in there? Because, you know, some people read that. They're like, well, I'm not sleeping with a harlot. Hello. I'm not sleeping with a prostitute. I'm sleeping with someone I love. That, that, that's the justification, right? I'm, I'm not, do- hold on a second, but, but in the context here, what he's talking about in those days, remember, they had temples, and in those temples, they had what were called temple prostitutes, and what happened is part of your worship, in some cases, was to pay the prostitute to have sex, and that was literally an act of worship. Hello, somebody. Talk about perversion, but that's the reality of those days, and so what happened is these people got saved, and the Christian men were like, well, is this still a go? That's reality. Is this still good? I mean, because when I slept with a harlot in those times, I was giving homage to the deity by doing what? I paid for this, and now I'm worshiping as an act. See, you have to understand something. Satan wants you to worship him in perversion. And he wants you to think that that is an act of worship. And so what Paul is addressing is saying, no. He says idolatry or or this harlotry thing, sleeping, no, that is not. That is not something that is okay. That is not something that honors God. That's not something that brings you good fortune. Hello, somebody. That's what they were thinking, and Paul addresses it. He says, or do you not know that, that, that we, who, who, or he who is joined to a harlot, is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The second thing we have to do is consider Jesus. We are one with Christ. And when we come together with someone in a sexual way, it is detrimental to us, but it is dishonoring to Jesus. I want you to know something. Whenever you flip on the, the pornography, whenever you go into that room or that back seat or wherever it is to do your thing, guess what? Jesus didn't walk out of the room. You're offending him because he's right there. He didn't close his eyes or something like that. It's an offense unto him. And so we have to recognize this in our walk of purity and living in holiness. I had a conversation with Aaron. We were on our way to the Better Man event yesterday. And as we were on our way to the Better Man event yesterday, he said, he was like, you know, I was talking to my friend and we were talking about the Bible. And he said, and I told him that, you know, um, if we would just listen to the Bible, then our lives would be different. We would avoid certain problems. And he said, Give you an example. And he's talking to his friend. He's telling me what he told his friend. He said, sex before marriage. He said, if we stopped having sex before marriage, how many problems would we, would we avoid? I just said that in the last service, right? I said, look, last week we talked about 600,000 something abortions a year, right? Okay. So I'm not, I haven't done the statistics on this. You guys can go do that if you'd like. But I guarantee you if you look at statistics on how many abortions happen to single women in comparison to married women, I can assure you at least 95% of those are to single women. So what does that mean? That means that we would deal with a lot of issues. Not to mention all the other reciprocal stuff like child support, broken families, all of this other stuff that we see. It's all because of what? Because we violate God's standards. It's amazing. God doesn't want us to suffer, but we want to. Because we want 30 seconds of pleasure and then we have all kind of strife. Just saying, I mean, that, that, that's just a reality. So the first thing, we, we, we consider God. The second thing, we consider Jesus. And then verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin, listen to this now, every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We sin against our body when we do this. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen. Consider God the Father. Consider him. He created you with purpose. Consider Jesus. He died so you could be saved from your sin, so you could be reconciled to your purpose. And consider the Spirit of God who is at work in you, who is dwelling in you, and who is there to empower you to live holy according to his standards. And again, I want to point this out. Don't just think about someone sleeping with a harlot because you're like, I'm not sleeping with a harlot or I'm not having sex. Think about those lustful thoughts. Think about those thoughts you allow to engage in your mind and in your heart, those things that, that condemn you before God. And as you're sitting there, you sense that you know that you are guilty before a holy God in this area. And so here is the question that I have in closing. Are you committed to glorifying God in the area of sexual purity? Are you committed to glorifying God in the area of sexual purity? Look, I don't know what it is that you were convicted of as I preached. I don't know what it is that the Spirit of the Lord was dealing with you on. I don't know if you struggle with internet pornography. I don't know if you struggle with lust just on a large level. I don't know if you're actually committing the act of adultery or you're committing fornication. I don't know what it is that you are doing. But whatever it is that is dishonoring God, the question is this. Are you committed to glorifying God in this area? Because if you are, then you know what you'll do? You'll repent before God today. If you are, you will call upon the Lord and you will say, God, forgive me for living unrighteously. Forgive me for accepting my standards or the world's standards over your standards. That is what you will do today. And so I ask you to stand up to your feet with me and let's pray together. God, we come to you. We humble our hearts in your presence. And we acknowledge, dear God, that you truly are holy, that you truly are righteous, that you truly are pure. And that your standards are higher than ours. And so we want to live up to those standards. We don't want to live beneath those standards. And we acknowledge in this place, Lord God, whatever the struggle is, Whatever the battle is, Lord God, with the area of sexuality, maybe we're being pressured, maybe we're being tempted, whatever is going on today, we submit those things to you. God, I come against the spirit of whoredoms that has so attacked this nation. Lord God, I come against the spirit of perversion that has so attacked this nation and found a way to infiltrate the church. God, I come against the demonic forces of the enemy and the lives of my brothers and my sisters, and I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be upon them. I pray for purity of heart, for purity of mind. I pray for the, single, the singles in this place, Lord God, that this may be an even greater battle for them, those who are unmarried, spiritually of God. Give them the grace to stand firm in purity and holiness and let them be a light that shines in the midst of a dark world. For us that are married, Lord God, let our eyes be solely for our spouse. Let our hearts be solely for our spouse. Forgive us for compromise, Lord God. Purify us and cleanse us, O oh God, that we may honor you with our bodies. God, we want to glorify you in all things. And so we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. In Jesus' great name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. And as you do that, you can be seated. Pastor Aldo is going to, or Pastor Chad is going to make his way up here. But just two things.